today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Archaeology and scholarship continue to uncover not doubts on the Scripture, but validations to the Word of God. Where archaeologists and scholars continue to argue the validity of the Scripture, it's not because they've discovered something that proves it wrong. It's simply because they've yet to discover a particular fact or location or a people or a person that the Bible speaks about. The Bible will declare there is a King David. We don't see that in secular history. And so they argue its reality. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that both science and documented history prove the validity of the Word of God. For example, the crucifixion account does not just appear in the Bible. The prominent historian Josephus, along with other reliable sources of the first century, wrote of Jesus' death on a cross. When archaeologists and scientists claim that the Word of God contains historical fiction, time and scientific discovery always prove that the Bible can be trusted as fact. Now here's Pastor David with part three of his message, How Firm a Foundation, from the book of 2 Peter. through these things, you see the blending together of a marvelous, a wonderful story, a declaration from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. These men were from every walk of life. They were kings and they were paupers. They were priests and they were prophets. They were shepherds and they were doctors. They were uneducated and they were well-educated. I believe that it's so consistent with the acceptable testimony that I believe that any court system would receive it because they're not word-for-word comparisons. What it is, it's the testimony, it's the eyewitness of several witnesses that come together relating the same story from different words. It's not that they all got together. Well, was his shirt red or green? Well, I believe it was red. Okay, so let's say that it's red. Were there five of them or four of them? Well, I believe there are four. Okay, then let's make it four. No, there, there are some differences even within it. But you know what? That validates the reality of the truth of the witnesses that are there. Compare, for instance, the records of First and Second Kings with the records of First and Second Chronicles. Same stories, same peoples, but different in many ways. Why would there be differences? Because First and Second Kings are written in more of a secular or a political direction, whereas First and Second Chronicles are written in more of a spiritual or a religious direction. Different writers from different viewpoints speaking of the same events. Are there differences? Yes, there are, but not differences that, 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 that affect any kind of doctrine or, or major emphasis. 
You can look at the four gospel records. Great similarities, but again, some differences. Written by four different men at four different times. Two of them who had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Two of them who later became believers and took the testimony of some of the other apostles as well as eyewitnesses of the time. Wrote these four accounts. And again, because of the similarity of these accounts... And yet, at the same time, the differences, it again shows that this isn't a made-up story, that this is the reality and this is the truth of eyewitness accounts. Compare the experiences of individuals as they either through visions or through actual physical presence, they stood before the throne room of God. Their stories so similar, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and even John in the book of Revelation, as well as the account of the transfiguration of Christ, speaking very similar accounts, but different men who had experienced this thing in different times. And yet so many of the descriptions flow right along with each other. Some differences, yes, because it's different men speaking about the same event. Of all of the ancient manuscripts that are available, the Bible above all of them has more complete documents closest to the time of what is called the original autographs. The original autographs means the ones who actually wrote it. Now, we don't have the original writings of anything within the Bible. What we do is we have copies of copies of copies. Now, when we look at the vast amount of the copies of the manuscripts that we have of, say, the New Testament alone, we have over 25,000 copies that are within 25 years of the original writings. So 25 years ago, the original writing was there. They made a copy, and they sent it to this church. They made a copy, they sent it to this church. They made a copy, sent it to this church. Long ago, the original was gone, but now we still have these copies of copies within 25 years, and we've got 25,000 of them. You might think, well, that still is kind of stretching it. Of all the ancient documents that we have, the ancient books that we have, the closest to come in comparison is Homer's Iliad. Nobody doubts that Homer wrote the Iliad. I mean, hey, certainly you wouldn't doubt that. The copies that we have of Homer's Iliad, there are 643 copies at the closest date of over 500 years from the time that Homer wrote it. And we only have 643 copies that close. And yet no one doubts that Homer wrote the Iliad. But yet they continue to try and doubt the fact that your Bible is true or not. The manuscripts, that close to the original, within 25 years, beloved, that's less than a generation. And within that time, if there was, again, falseness that was there, if there was uh, exaggerations on it, the people that were there, the eyewitnesses, would have, again, refuted it at that point in time. They would have uh, known that they were deviating from the facts, and there would have been, again, proof against those. But that's not the case. It remains true. Another thing you need to know, and you may be familiar with, back in 1940s, a young shepherd boy in Israel As he was watching over his sheep, one of the sheep got loose and ran into a cave, and he threw a rock into that cave to try and drive the sheep out, and he heard something break inside that cave. 
when he went in to investigate, he, find, he found all these pots there. And inside many of these pots were scrolls of ancient documents. It's where we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Not only were there scripture that were found in there, but there were also a lot of secular writing. Some of those that were dated in writing over 2,000 years ago, before the time of Christ, that were just found in the 1940s. Absolutely amazing. Both skeptic as well as those that were for the Bible were excited about this find because the skeptic thought, wow, great. Now we can prove that the Bible has been changed, it's been perverted, it's been twisted uh, uh, through the years. It cannot be the same. In those scrolls, they found nearly all of the Jewish Old Testament portions and parts of all of the books of the Old Testament, except the book of Esther. One of the books that they found the most of was the book of Isaiah, of all books. And they found the complete scroll of Isaiah. So they were able to take that out, and linguistics were able to go and look at that and compare it to today's version, and look at that and compare it to today's version. And you know what they found? 95% accuracy from what was written 2,000 years ago to what we have today as our word. Beloved, that's, that's uncomparable in any other kind of literature. Oh, and by the way, that 5% that was wrong. That was either copyist errors. There were accent marks at different places. There were words that were flipped back and forth. Again, none of it any kind of doctrinal, any kind of major issue. All just solid, solid proof of God being able to hold his word true and maintain the veracity, the faithfulness of it all through these years. As far as hostile witnesses are concerned, Some of you may have heard of a man by the name of Flavius Josephus. Flavius Josephus was a Jewish historian, but he had, again, uh, he had defected from the Jews and he'd become actually a Roman citizen. And as he's writing the history of the first century, Josephus gives us a lot of insight into the world of that day. It's interesting how much more we're willing to believe Josephus from the first century than we are from the Bible, but that's a whole other issue. In Josephus' writing, he's neither a friend of the Jew nor of the Christian, and one of his most famous and enduring works is the Antiquity of the Jews. In his writing, he not only preserves the traditions of that time, but also speaks of a lot of things that were going on during that first century. In Josephus' writing, he speaks about the existence of a man called John the Baptist, And he also mentions that Herod had him imprisoned and put him to death. Josephus also mentions a man by the name of James, who was the brother of Jesus, along with the fact that James was put to death by the high priest of the time. And a little bit later in the same book, in the Antiquities of the Jews, Josephus mentions Jesus himself. He characterizes him as a wise man. 
And then he further reports that the people viewed Jesus as the Christ, though Josephus wasn't claiming him as Christ or Messiah. He says the people believed him to be the Christ and that Jesus appeared to his disciples three days after Pilate had put him to death. That's on the record of Josephus, a secular writing, a hostile witness to the truth of God's word. Another hostile witness to the validity of the New Testament, uh, again, is, is included in other documents. The Jewish Talmud, again, not a Christian writing, but the Jewish Talmud, actually mentions Jesus, and it records his death on the eve of Passover. Thales was a Samaritan historian. He wrote around 52 AD, and he mentions the crucifixion of Jesus, as did another Roman historian, Phlegon. The internal evidence of the prophecy within our word. Again, more than enough for any reasoning man, for someone without prejudice against the word of God, someone that would just clearly come and look at what the Old Testament said and what was fulfilled in the New Testament, any reasoning man would be able to believe that it's the truth and that there is reliability within the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament, we find some very bold, we find some very precise prophetic declarations that pertain to people all around the world of that time. Prophecies that dealt with individual nations, their people, their leaders, their kings. The prophecies that dealt with the nation of Israel, their people, their leadership, their spiritual leadership, as well as their kings. Prophecies about individual cities, their rise, their fall, their absolute and total destruction. The coming of the one that was called Messiah, the speaking of what his lineage is, uh, his birthplace, his childhood home, the extent of his ministry, the rejection by his own people, the method of his execution, the place of his burial and of his resurrection, as well as speaking of his coming again. All of that is found in the Old Testament and has been shown fulfilled in the New Testament. Then we move into the area of archaeology. Archaeology and scholarship continue to uncover not doubts on the Scripture, but validations to the Word of God. Where archaeologists and scholars continue to argue the validity of the Scripture, it's not because they've discovered something that proves it wrong. It's simply because they've yet to discover a particular fact or location or a people, or a person that the Bible speaks about. The Bible will declare there is a King David. We don't see that in secular history. And so they argue it's reality. Pontius Pilate, they said, nowhere is there in secular history Pontius Pilate. Yet your Bible speaks about him quite a bit in all of your Gospels. Well, you know what? It wasn't until just a short time ago that scholars felt they had an ace on that. Hey, we don't have him in any of the secular. Surely it's a made-up myth within your Bible. Until archaeologists, only a few years ago, as they were digging, they found a monument, and on that monument was an inscription referring to Pontius Pilate. For those of you that are going to Israel in March, when you get to Caesarea Maritima, which was the summer home of Herod, that monument is right there with not only the, the inscription there, but also the translation right next to it. Secularists, archaeologists, didn't think that it was possible. 
and yet they found it. Archaeologists for years have doubted the actual execution method of crucifixion until, you know what? Suddenly they dug up a body that had been crucified. The nail was still in one of his hands. By the way, the nail wasn't in his hand here because if a nail was in the hand here, the weight of the victim of crucifixion would rip it right out. The nail had to be here. And guess where the nail was on that body that they found? Right there. What they didn't believe was true. Archaeology proved that the Bible was true once again. And even as I shared about King David, did you know that until recently, scholars rejected the Bible statements about King David? And even today, in a lot of universities, and yes, unfortunately, even in liberal seminaries, there's textbooks that openly reject the historical statements of the scriptures in reference to King David. And yet in 1993, as soon as 1993, gosh, that's only, that's like 20 years ago? It was in 1993, archaeologists digging at uh, the Tel Dan in Galilee, in northern Israel, they found a fragment of a stone with the inscription that clearly refers to the house of David and identifies David as the king of Israel. This is the first inscription outside of the Bible that confirms that the Bible statement that David was the king of Israel, again, in the ninth century before Christ, the first time that they had proof outside of the word of God. The following summer, two additional fragments of that original inscription were found that provided scholars with the whole inscription, confirming again that it referred to David as the king of of Israel. When we were traveling in Israel just a couple of years ago, we were in the tour bus, and as we were on the south side of Jerusalem, of the old city of Jerusalem, and the walls of the Jerusalem are uh, the outer walls, our tour guide pointed out to us a place that had a canopy over it, and there were a lot of workmen busy digging. He says, the amazing thing is, just a short time ago, there were workers there trying to repair a sewer, and as they were digging, they uncovered some relics. And on those relics, it spoke about the city of David, the city of David, and the house of David. So now they're excavating that whole area. Because you know what? The city of David was not where Jerusalem is right now. It was actually located just south of it, on a hill right next to it. Amazing, right where these workers were digging. And that was just a couple of years ago that we were there. Not too many years they were digging in the land of southern Jordan. Again, uh, an archaeologist from the College of France discovered another 9th century stone inscription that speaks about the house of David. Over and over again, archaeologists are proving that the Bible is true. The argument had long been made that with all the biblical dating of the time of Moses, there's no way that Moses could have written the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's no way that Moses could have written that because writing had not been invented at that time. And so the scholars continued to press that point. And so higher critics of the Bible then transferred and pieced out those five books to four different writers. They didn't know who they were, so they just gave them letters, P, E, D, and something else. These guys must have been the ones that wrote it. Until guess what? Archaeologists uncovered something called the Stone of Hammurabi or the Hammurabi Stone. 
that black monument, on it was written the laws of the Hammuramis in a conical alphabet and letters, again, words that were there. And you know what? That was actually dated three centuries, 300 years prior to the time of Moses. Could Moses have written the Pentateuch? Absolutely. They had language. They had written language at that point in time. Not a problem. Archaeology is still proving it. Over and over again, archaeologists stating, declaring that, again, the word of God is true by their own findings, by their own discoveries. A Bible scholar, uh, John A.T. Robinson, he writes that, again, all the attacks against the New Testament are based on a tyranny of unexamined assumptions. And what he felt must have been, in his words, an almost willful blindness. They're not looking at it without prejudice. They're looking at it with great prejudice against the supernatural, against the ability of God to be able to maintain his word and the truthfulness of the word. And beloved, we could go on and on. We could fill uh, weeks and months of study, again, about the veracity of the scriptures. But I would highly recommend to you two books on this subject. Two books real quick. Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, written in the 1970s, and still just a great, great work on it. And also The Case for Christ, which was written in the 1990s. Josh McDowell written in the 1970s. Lee Strobel wrote A Case for Christ in the 1990s. Both of them great insight on, again, the, the validity of the Word of God. Back here real quick in Second Peter. Peter ends his portion with a plea to the church with these words. He says, so we have the prophetic word confirmed. We look at all that we've spoken about this morning. It is confirmed, beloved. It is a foundation you can rest sure on. He says, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. It's the word of God that you and I in our lives can stand firm in. He says it shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until the time of Jesus' next coming, we can stand on this word firm and fast. Verse 20, he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter knew that there would be detractors. He knew that there would be those that would seek to destroy the faith or at least cripple the walk of believers. He wanted the church to know that they could believe in the word of God, that they could stand firm and fast in it, even though the world on the outside was yelling out just the opposite. He wanted the believers to understand that there's no other foundation that they can build in their life other than Christ and his word. So where is your foundation? The words with how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I'm with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen and help thee and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, 
I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. The life we're called to live as followers of Christ is not a simple one, and the Apostle Peter makes it clear through his second letter that it's a path that's easy to miss. So how do we stay connected to our Savior and walk out the steps He has planned? One way is to immerse ourselves in a community of faith. When we spend time with other believers, we can remind each other of the truth of God's great power, just like Peter reminded the early church. Are you a part of a local body of believers? If not, Pastor David has a personal invitation for you. Well, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith. It's given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, you're looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. Is there some way we could be praying for you as you journey along your path with Jesus? Let us know by calling 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We love to be able to speak with our listeners, lift them up in prayer, and answer the questions they have. We're so glad you tuned in to Pastor David's study in 2 Peter today. Join us next time to continue the series right here on The Open Word.